Sometimes he calls us softly and tenderly to come home and we hear his voice and we come. Sometimes he's got to kick down the door. <laughs> well, that of the Apostle Paul's experience on the Damascus Road. Hear many things softly and tenderly about that one. Uh, one way or another, though, we are his. His chosen ones will hear his voice and they will come. And we've been learning about that in John 13 through 17. So please turn your Bibles to John chapter 17. <clears throat> Jesus is praying. He has been praying for himself that his own glory would be restored. The glory that was given to him before the foundation of the world. The glory that he shared with the Father before the world was even created. He's been praying for his disciples. They would be protected from the hatred of the world and be kept um, guarded by God the Father. And he's also praying for us, for those of us who would believe in his name through their word preached. And we'll see that today in our passage in John 17. Everyone wake up. Yes. <laughs> And so we'll see that in John 17 today. And we've arrived now at the closing section of this wonderful prayer of Jesus, a section which really supplies this glorious climax to all that has gone before. In it, the Lord Jesus gives us gracious assurance that he was not only praying for himself, the apostles, but also for us. And so we read these words today. This is Jesus' prayer for you and for me today. And so look at John chapter 17, uh, starting at verse 17, and we'll, uh, we'll close out the chapter today. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. <clears throat> As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Verse 19, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And will continually and continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And so let's look at uh, verses 17 through 19. And what we what we just saw in that passage, there's, there's really several key points that we see in there. First, that Jesus prays that we would be sanctified and we would be sanctified, put us put, set apart. We're going to dig into that. 
He prays we would be unified. Did you see all the language in there about unity? That they would be one. As Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus and the Father. The Father and Jesus. We unified in them. Jesus in us. We are in Jesus abiding in him and in his love. There's there's all this talk and words of, of unity and coming together. So he prays we would be unified. He also prays that we would be glorified, that we would share in his glory that he has given to us, that we would be satisfied in him. And lastly, that we would be filled with his love. And so first we see that that we are sanctified and sent. You and I both, we are sanctified and sent. Verses 17 through 19, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, what what does that even mean? What does it mean to be sanctified? That's a $3 word right there. That's That's a theological term that we throw around, but we don't always know what that really means. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, in the scripture, it means to be set apart as holy. It means to be set apart as something that's special, something that's pure, something that's holy. It's almost always meant as something apart unto God for his use. As we walk in obedience to God's word, we are separated from evil. We're to be separate. We're to be set apart. You've heard the expression, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. There's something that's supposed to be different about you and me as believers in Jesus. We we shouldn't just look like the world out there, act like the world out there, talk like the world out there. And if we do, then something's probably not right. We're probably not walking with God the way we ought to be walking with God. You know, would your coworkers and friends be surprised to hear that you're a Christian? I've seen that response from some people. We'll be talking in a lunch setting or something, and someone will bring up, oh, well, yeah, we have this church activity, and like, oh, you're a Christian? And we've known each other for years. <laughs> so something's not right with that. Now, I'm not saying you're going out there thumping people on the head with your Bibles all the time and, you know, turn or burn kind of stuff. That's not, that's not how you win souls to the Lord necessarily. But there's something should be different. People should be drawn to God because of the love and the peace and the joy and the fruit of the spirit, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control that's in our lives, the words that we speak. There should be something different about us that would draw those who have been called and chosen to God through the Lord and would probably smell like death to those who are not. We are to be sanctified. Jesus is praying here, sanctify them in the truth. Well, what is truth? Pilate asked that. We'll see that in the next chapter. What is truth? Yes. Well, we're not left wondering here. Your word is truth. The word of God is truth. There is a truth in this world, and this is it. The word of God is the truth. If you're wondering what truth is, it's right in your hands if you have your Bibles with you today. Your word is true. God's word is true. He cannot lie. God doesn't lie. 
There, you know, there's people who say, well, there's nothing God can't do. Well, yeah, there actually are some things God can't do. One of them is God cannot lie. Think about that. He doesn't lie. God cannot sin. There are things God cannot do. And he cannot lie. His word is truth. There's no error in his word. It is the final authority for our lives. So if you're wondering about something and it clearly contradicts what the word of God says for us in our living and being, then don't do that, right? Obey the word of God. It's simple. Don't make it complicated. His word is truth. And by God's word, everything is to be tested. By it, our thoughts are formed and our behavior should be regulated and guided. So it's of the utmost importance, brothers and sisters, that we know it. You can't obey it if you don't know it. And so it's vital. Fathers particularly, husbands, be the spiritual leader in your homes. Be teaching this word of God to your family. Our living rooms are our primary mission field. I want to let that sink in for me. Because I've come from a, a church background where it's the pastor, the professional pastor, who is to disciple my children. And there ought to be programs for that. And that's how a lot of churches are evaluated. Now, I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with those approaches to ministry, but what they're missing, people that think that way, is that it's the father, the spiritual leader of the home's primary responsibility is the discipleship of that home, of your home. It's not to be left to the professional pastor because we are not professionals. There's even a book written about that. It's fantastic. Brothers, we are not professionals. You got to get us, get away from that thinking. And so we disciple our homes. We teach the word of God in our homes. <clears throat> it's, it's vital. And so we must know the word of God if we're going to obey the word of God. And, and it's not enough for you to just hear it from my mouth or Pastor Rob or Pastor Jared on a Sunday morning. This isn't your Sunday morning recharge my batteries session. No, no, we've got to be in the word of God every day. Every day, throughout the day, soaking it in. And if you can't, if you can't make time to read it necessarily, then, then listen to it. Somehow get it into your, into your mind, into your heart. Be taking in the word of God more than we take in the culture that's out there in the world. Whatever's feeding your soul the most is what's going to be the strongest in your soul. And so we must feast on the word of God. Be hungry for the word of God, even, even more than, than Molly's bread <laughs> or Bond's desserts. <laughs> we must feast on the word of God and be hungry for it. Be hungry for it. Are you hungry for the word of God? Man cannot live on bread alone. We know from God's word. We must have the word of God. When our lives are centered in God's word, we will be sanctified. We will be set apart from the world in his truth. Then we also see here, we have not only been sanctified, but we have been sent. He has sent us all into the world with a mission. We are sent. 
And we're on a mission here, not to make a name for ourselves or surround ourselves with comforts. That's what the world would teach us to do. That's what our culture teaches us to do. That our purpose in life is to uh, pile up uh, comforts for ourselves and, and make a name for ourselves. But that's not Jesus's way. That is not the way. Jesus totally flips that upside down. And it's not at all about comforts. The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. It's not at all about reputation. He made himself of no reputation. He laid aside his glory. That is the way, the truth, and the life. And we are sent into this world on that mission. It's a mission of love. It's a mission of service. It's a mission of proclaiming the word of God for the glory of God through salvation in Jesus Christ in this world. We are all on a mission, not just missionaries who are in a foreign country or the church planter who has gone to a place in this country where there are not many churches. We also are sent. We also are going. And Jesus' command in the Great Commission says, in your going. It says, go ye therefore. But the, the way that could be translated is in your going. And we are all going. In various ways in our lives, we are all going. In your going to Walmart, <laughs> in your going to uh, Sam's Club, in your going to work, in your going to school, in your going to, to play with the kids in your community, in your going, as you are going, you proclaim the word of God, you love, you serve, and you make disciples. So often we've, we've compartmentalized those words and like, oh, that's for the professional missionaries that are out there. I'm going to give them money and they're going to do the going. We also are going. So there's yes to that. And there's yes to us going as well. We are missionaries to Wake Forest. We are church planters in Youngsville. Henderson, Franklinton, wherever you live and be, you are going. So in your going, you are sent by the Lord Jesus as an ambassador of him in this world. Now, doesn't that change our mindset kind of about how we approach our day every day? It should. It will. Knowing that we have a redemptive mission in the world, knowing that you're a missionary to your family, to your community, to your workplace, to your school, wherever you go. In your going, you are making disciples. It's day-to-day -day living, brothers and sisters. Day-to-day -day living. Ordinary stuff. Washing dishes. <laughs> Cleaning up the house. Work meetings. Learning at school. Playing football out in the field, going to a, you know, a ballroom dance or something. Now, whatever we're doing in our going, we are sent by him. We're missionaries. Think about that. Think about that. And also as we go on a church mission trip or you know, any kind of other service opportunity that we have, it's all those things. <clears throat> 
And so are you, think about this for you, are you living like you're sanctified, set apart from the world through the, the word of God living in your life? Are, are you living like you're a set one? Because you are. You are. You're an ambassador for the Lord Jesus. And so at its essence, all of this will turn the desires of our hearts. When we know these things, when we understand these things, when we let them sink into our hearts, over time, the desires of our hearts are going to change to ones of selfish desires and living for myself to how can I live for others? How can I consider the needs of others more important than myself? How can I live a life of, of love and service that reflects the glory of Jesus in this world so that the world will see that and know that he is living in my life and be drawn to him. I want to know more about him. And something about you is different, and I want to know more about it. You ever had somebody say that to you? I've had people say that to me. And that is the door flung wide open for the gospel. Jesus is calling them, he's drawing them. So we're sanctified, we're set apart. It's a moment by moment awareness. It's a mindfulness, being mindful that we don't live for ourselves, but we live for loving God and loving others. That's, those are the main commandments, right? Love God, love your neighbor. Next, look at verses 20 through 23. Jesus prays for our sanctification, our prays for that we would be sent as he's sending us. And then next, he prays for our unity. He prays for our unity, verse 20 through 23. I don't ask for these only, but I also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? Why is that important? so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And he talks about glory. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus' concern for our unity is really the greatest burden as his earthly mission draws to a close. Over and over again, he's praying for our unity, that we would be one. It's all over this entire section of text. It's woven into like a beautiful tapestry, this whole fabric of what he's saying. He's praying for all Christians, you and me. And if you remember, not too many chapters before, the disciples were bickering about who is greatest, who should be at his right hand and his left, you know, all this selfish, worldly stuff. They just couldn't get it through their heads what he was really going to do. They didn't understand. And so no wonder he has to pray for their unity. <laughs> They're fighting with each other. And we're not much different these days. We've got our own disagreements and strifes and arguments and everything else. So Jesus prays for our unity. <clears throat> and he also says here, 
He's praying that we would be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me, he says. And so we believe in Jesus through the word of God shared by other believers in Jesus. And as we see the, the, the body of Christ, the community of the church, live together in unity and oneness and love and service, all of that, that works together. And God sharing his word through you and me to others, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to help us to understand that word, we, we believe because of all of that. God uses all of that to ignite faith in our souls. And so this, this is vital. This is vitally important. The unity of the body of Christ in the church is vitally important. And it, and it all comes down to the importance of faith. Faith is the fundamental mark of a Christian. Love and obedience and perseverance and suffering, they all come next and they're all built on a foundation of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so he's talking here that, you know, our unity will result in belief, belief that God sent him. Faith is the great essential. It's the mother of obedience and the other graces of God in our lives. And to believe in Jesus is to have confidence in and to rely on him and to trust in him and to rest in him. Enough to know about Jesus. A lot of people know about Jesus. The demons know about Jesus and they shudder. They know about him. But to truly know him, to truly have faith in him and believe in him, is to trust him, rest in him, rely upon him alone for salvation. And faith is built on the word of God. He says here, those who believe in me through their word. So I'm, I'm trying to bring all of this together in our minds so we can see this picture. That it's you and me and all believers throughout history we know God's word, we proclaim God's word, we share God's word, we live God's word, and others believe because of that. God accomplishes his purposes of salvation in the world through, through you and through me sharing the word. We believe because someone shared the word with us. For some of us, uh, it was our parents, maybe. For others, it was someone you randomly met in the, in the community, or maybe it was a friend of yours at the bus stop. Or maybe you came to a church meeting and you heard the gospel preached. At some point, though, you heard the word of God. You heard the gospel of truth. And the Spirit used that in your life to draw you, and you believed. Some of us had to hear it for years. <laughs> and then suddenly one day, yes. I believe. Before, it was stupid and childish and for weak people. But then it wasn't. It was a treasure. It was precious. It was glorious and beautiful. And you believed in the word. 
And so sharing the gospel with others through our spoken words is vital. Romans 10, 14, Paul says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone proclaiming or preaching? The word in the Greek there is to proclaim. So when you see preaching, yes, that's proclaiming what I'm doing right now. But it's also you and, and me out in the world talking with people with our words, proclaiming the word of God. It's not just standing up here in the pulpit. How will they hear without someone proclaiming? How, will, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So, I, I bring all of this in because I want to encourage us to, to speak the gospel of Jesus in the world. We, we have really shied away from that because we don't want to offend. We're not sure what they're going to think about us. We're kind of become scared. You know, I can't say Jesus at work. That goes against policy. Really? Really? Maybe it does. God's bigger than the policy. It just is. I want us to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I want us to not be afraid of sharing the gospel of Christ. Otherwise, how will they know we're not just good Buddhists or good Hindus or just nice people? How are they going to know about Jesus if we don't tell them about Jesus? Now, a lot of us today, we, we try to smooth this over and we'll say, well, God bless me, God. We talk about God. God this, God that, and that's nice. We're in a culture in this country where, yeah, God is great. God's awesome. And a lot of, you're going to get a lot of nods and smiles when you talk about God. As soon as you drop the name Jesus, though, it's a different, it's a different response. There's power in the name of Jesus. And you're going to know really fast, you know, is that, is that a sheep that God is drawing? Or is that someone, ooh, that's the smell of death to me. I'm done with that Jesus stuff. Not interested. But how will they know without a preacher? They need to know. I was a sinner. Lost in my sins. Jesus saved me. They need to hear words like that. It's as simple as that. Trust in Jesus and be saved today. You can be saved too. You trust in Jesus. They don't have to take a systematic theology course to understand that. It's helpful later on. But you can share the simple gospel of salvation through Jesus. And that's, that's what Jesus is sending us to do. He's sending us to love and share the gospel in this world. We, we are on a mission. We are on a mission. <clears throat> now back to unity. So he's praying for unity here in this passage, verses 20 through 23. He's praying for our unity. And this goes right along with sharing the gospel with our words when we are also walking in love and in unity in the church and the body of Christ. Those in the world will see that. And many will believe and know that Jesus was sent by God and loves them. 
because of the unity they, they see in us. <clears throat> love for Jesus is what gives us the ability to love each other. I mean, look around this room. This room is filled with different types of people. If not for Jesus Christ, we probably would like, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be fellowshipping with each other. We have such different interests, such different family dynamics. We, we live in opposite ends of the counties. <laughs> it's Jesus and his love that brings us together. And so the world sees that. They're like, how can, how can that work? How is that possible? What, it, it happens through the love of Jesus in our lives. That we have unity. You know, two of my best friends... One's from Nigeria and the other's from Singapore. They love Jesus. And it brings us together. It's the foundation of our friendship that has endured for 30 years with these guys. If not for Jesus, we wouldn't even really have much in common. And so we're unified in Jesus and our love for him. And so if our unity shows the world and helps the world believe in Jesus that he was sent, our disunity will clearly do the opposite, right? Our disunity will show the world that there's really nothing special about following Jesus. Those people are just like anyone else. Matter of fact, they're a bunch of hypocrites. They talk about love, but they hate each other. Just a bunch of hypocrites in the church. And I hear that regularly, even from family members and so our disunity, it really hurts our witness. The psalmist wrote it this way. He says, uh, Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. Isn't it good and pleasant when everyone's unified? That's yeah, great. It's wonderful. It's peaceful. It's glorious. It's good. It's pleasant when we dwell together in unity. So by overcoming division and working together and loving each other, we can demonstrate the power of Jesus to bring peace and unity to the world. By coming together in love, we can demonstrate the power of the gospel and attract people to Jesus. When we put aside our selfish wants and consider others more important than ourselves, we send a a message to the world that Jesus is the way and he showed us the way. He died to himself that we would live. He demonstrated his love for us and even though we were his enemies, he died for us. But when we bite and devour each other, we may win the fight today but the world sees that and it really hurts our hearts. Now, in verse 22, Jesus says, He's here also. He says here also that He has given us His glory. And Caitlin asked me about this a few weeks ago. Like, what does that mean? He's given us His glory. He shared in His glory. And I, I was like, you know, I really, I don't really know. <laughs> Because I just said that, you know, his glory was amazingly powerful and awesome. 
like even a gajillion times more powerful and awesome than even Godzilla. And like, if he shared that with us, we'd probably just, you know, explode because of the power. So there, there's something about it. He shared his glory with us. He's given us also his glory, but there's something different about it. What is, but what does it mean? What is it like that he has given us his glory or shared his glory with us? So I'll do the best I can to explain it. I don't think I still even fully understand it today, but I'll do the best I can. Clearly, it's not his visible and external glory, which he laid aside when he became a man and came to save us. It's not that kind of glory. But we do know that when believers are in Christ, then Christ is in them. So when you believe in Jesus, Jesus is in you. You are in Jesus. Remember, he says, abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, abide in my love. So we are unified with Jesus, with the Spirit, and even God the Father. He is in us, we are in him, just as he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. He is the source of all the blessings which we will ever receive. And he has shared in all, all of that with us. He's the source of all the blessings we'll ever receive. We, through the spirit of God dwelling in our lives, we become partakers of all the riches that are in Christ. Pardon for sin, righteousness, love, joy, wisdom, knowledge of his word, and so much more. So in these ways, we share in his glory. And when all the members of the church universal have become partakers of these blessings, the church will be one just as the Father and the Son are one. And this is why Jesus gave all this glory to believers like you and me, that we may become perfectly one, perfectly unified, in a, a unit, basically. That we may be brought <clears throat> to perfect and complete oneness. Now, the unity and oneness here that Jesus is praying for is more than just moral unity. It's a oneness so intimate, so vital, so personal that it's patterned after and based on the relationship that exists between God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the Trinity. It's a oneness not only of faith, hope, and love, but of, of life itself. And so as we experience this unity and oneness, as we share in the glory of, of Christ, we're filled up with all of these riches and blessings in him. And to the extent that we are not experiencing those riches and blessings in him, it's probably to the extent that we really aren't walking in love and in spirit and in unity. These things work together. So together, we believers in Jesus, we constitute one body, the body of Christ. He is the head of the body. The exalted head of the body. And so the takeaway from all of this is that the church united in this way, in unity and love and service, we have a powerful influence on the world. The world, when it sees this unity and love in the church, will continually know continually know that God the Father sent Jesus the Son. 
and that he loves the church even as he loved Jesus. Those are the words we've just read. Next, Jesus also prays for our satisfaction. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Now, I read several resources as I was preparing this message, and, and most all of them consider this statement to be the climax of the prayer, the pinnacle of it. Why is that? Well, as you dig into it more and examine it more, I think, uh, I think you'll start to see. The word desire here can also be translated will or want. This is what Jesus wills for us. This is what Jesus wants for us. He desires it for us. Father, I will that they be with me where I am to see my glory. See, you just got to think about that for a little bit. Jesus's will is that we will be with him where he is, that we will see his glory. Consider the, the sweetness of those words. I can tell you, I've read this passage hundreds of times, and I just kind of would like gloss over it. But I just want to slow down here and, and think about the sweetness of those, of those words. Not one of his chosen ones whom he loves will fail to be with him and see him in his glory. No one is lost. None of his chosen ones can be snatched away. We will be with him and we will see him in his glory. <clears throat> so what's the big deal about that? What's so great about that? Well, the psalmist picks up on it and understands it. Psalm 1611. In his presence, in God's presence, in the presence of Jesus, is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so I think we have trouble digging into this because we're so satisfied with the comforts we have in the world. And as I, I think more about this and dig more into this, I see in my own life how I'm, I'm like the prodigal who was satisfied with the pods of swine. I'm satisfied with the pig food of the world. Because this world and all that it has to offer us, all of its comforts, all of uh, you know, building up my ego and reputation and all those things, that is like pig food, slop, compared to the fullness of joy in the presence of Jesus. But my mind is so fixated on the pig food, I can't even see the glory of Jesus. And if we're honest, I'm sure a lot of us in this room are probably in that spot. <clears throat> I don't sit around much and think about the glory of Jesus. 
because my mind is busy with the things of the world. And it's busy. But we who believe in Jesus, we will stand before him and we will see his glory. And we're going to be fully happy and at peace and at rest and filled with joy in him. Wow. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places and many rooms, many mansions, if you want to translate it that way. If it were not so, would I have told you that I've gone to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and get you. So that you will always be with me where I am. Wow. It's the delight and desire of Jesus that we constantly be with him where he is. Is it your delight and desire to constantly be with him where he is? If it's not, ask him to help you with that. (laughs) God, help me with that. Because that's where you're going to find true joy. That's where you're going to find true peace. That's where you're going to feel true love. And that's where you're going to find rest for your weary soul in him. Psalm 27 says, one thing I I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Look, we can only imagine what this will be like. And sadly, our imaginations are woefully inadequate. And as I dug into this more, you know, I remembered the words of this song by Bart Miller of Mercy Me. And you guys probably know this song. But he thought about this. He wrote a song about it. It's called I Can Only Imagine. And here are the words. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. When that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun, I can only imagine what I will will do when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I, I can only imagine. We can only imagine. It will be better than anything we've ever experienced here. And then finally, Jesus prays for his love to be in us. Verse 25. Oh, righteous father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. 
I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Christ in you is the hope of glory. His prayer sums up what he taught all through this section and in John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17, where he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Love is patient and is kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. This whole section of text, starting in chapter 13, opened with these words. <clears throat> Having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end, to the uttermost. Now John 17 finishes with these words of love. The love of Jesus in us. And so I... Hope that we can all believe in Jesus today, rest in the warmth and glorious radiance of his love today and forevermore, brothers and sisters. <clears throat>